0: If you'll turn in your Bibles for the remaining time to Joshua 24, I want to begin my remarks this morning with verse 2 and 3. And you might think, well, this is an unusual place to begin the next message in the Servant Series. We began this in the first part of January, a Servant Series. And as you know, I got hung up on Job for a good long while. <laughs> Job is easy to get hung up on, but we're moving on from Job now to the next chronological individual in the Bible that the Lord himself refers to as my servant. The Lord refers to Abraham as my servant. He referred to Job as my servant. And again, it does not mean that there are not other servants of God, but I'm just specifically limiting this servant series to those that God referred to as my servant. And Abraham was one of those. And the title of the message this morning is the servant's quest. So let's read in Joshua 24 in verse 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood. Now, it's important that we begin the remarks on the servant of God Abraham here, because I want you to understand, and I don't know, I've studied Abraham for a lot of years. It seems like every time I go back to the scripture on some of these individuals it just something else just comes out and it, and it really hit me this time just how drastic the situation with Abraham was. Now if you don't know who Abraham is then you're probably living in a, a closet or a box <laughs> because you can't understand anything about the three great world religions without knowing something about Abraham because they all come from Abraham. That's the Jewish faith the Christian faith, and the Muslim faith. All three of those worldwide known religions come from Abraham. They all claim a root from Abraham. So if we don't understand something about Abraham, we're not going to understand anything about religion in general. And I want you to understand that Abraham did not just live life. He happened to life and he lived a big life. And we want to see why because we're in our servant series we're trying to understand more about what it means to be a servant of God. And now also remember this, in the days of Abraham, the popular religion was called polytheism. And that's just a big fancy word that means they worship many gods. Okay, Abraham stood alone. He was the only one at the time who was a monotheist, who worshiped only one God. Now you can see, if you think just a little bit, how polytheism spawned or came from monotheism, the worship of one God, because even though we worship one God, we believe he's what? (laughs) He's three in one. So you can see how polytheism would be a perversion of monotheism, which is belief in one God, but our God is three in one, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I want you to understand how drastic this is, that Abraham stood alone. He was the only monotheist. He was the only one worshiping God as one God, okay? Everybody else was worshiping many gods. He stood alone. So where did Abraham get his greatness from? Wouldn't it be great if we could tap into that and know where his greatness came from? And people think, well, Abraham was just a superhero of faith, and there's no way that anybody could ever live up to him. I want you to know that the greatness of Abraham did not come from Abraham. It did not come from him. We see Abraham as a man of vision. I mean, think about it. You have to see him as a man of vision if three great world religions that are known throughout the world came from him. See? You have to see that he was a man of vision. Well, what was it that prompted him? What made him great? And I tell you, I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. It was the call of God. The call of God is what made him great. And the title of the message this morning is The Servant's Quest. If you think about Job and what we looked at at Job, Job was a suffering servant, wasn't he? He suffered. We want to look at Abraham as the servant who was on a quest. And I hope that you'll see how that applies to you and it applies to me today. That Abraham is not untouchable. Abraham's faith and his servant service to God is not unreachable. Abraham stood against his own kin, his own culture, and his own country and the religious worship of the day. If what made him great, it was the call of God. I ask you, have you felt and heard the call of God on your life? Yes, I am referring to the touching of the Spirit of God in the new birth. That is the calling of God. You can't even come to the table to know the purpose for your life until God has touched you with His Spirit. Where does that come from? Did you just get willing or just dream it up and say, well, I'll I'll just let the Lord touch me. That's not how it works. God in His sovereignty and His mercy touches Abraham. You'll see here in just a moment. If you think your life is special, if you think your life is distinct, if you feel the burden of God in your life. It's because God has called you. He's put the calling on your life. And the ultimate reason that you identify as a Christian or that you identify as a disciple is because you've been called by God. And we want to talk about the power of that call. Let's get a little background here. The reason we started in Joshua 24 is because I want you to see that prior to the call of God, Abraham was worshiping and serving idols. Prior to the call of God, Abraham was a polytheist. He was worshiping many gods. You say, how do we know that? Because it says that Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, it says they served other gods. This is very important. And usually when we talk about Abraham, we start in Genesis 12. But I'm actually going to back up a little bit. And we're going to to start more in Genesis 1 through 11. Because I don't think you can fully comprehend what went on in the life of Abraham until you see the history there of what was going on Leading up to that time. Very significant that I wanted to share the verse with you first this morning about Abraham's father being named Terah. We'll get to that in just a minute. It's very significant that his name was Terah. And from Genesis 1, the Garden of Eden, all the way down to Genesis 11. Yes, even including the flood period of time where God wiped out and started over. What you have is you have the spiraling down of mankind. From the Garden of Eden, it started out great and man was innocent, but immediately after the fall in the garden, you've got the first murder and the first family. And then from then on, if you'll think about it, in those first several chapters, most of what you read about in, uh, regarding the early days of history has to do with the family of Cain, those trendsetters, those influencers that Brother Luke was talking to us about last week, those great influencers. There's a lot of influencers out there today. There's a lot of similarities with what you see in these days. And yet, there was one family. (laughs) One family who was preserving the truth of God. And in Genesis 4, in the last verse in Genesis 4, in the midst of all of the... Statements about the family of Cain and all the things that were going on in the life of Cain and his descendants, and the great innovative things they were doing, like coming up with the first market system, coming up with the first uh, um, twist on traditional marriage. You know, the descendants of Cain decided that they could marry more than one wife. All these innovations, you know, all these new things that were coming along. Uh, music was on the rise. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with the market system, there's nothing wrong with music, there's nothing wrong. Uh, with, with some of those things that you read there. Definitely something wrong with having more than one wife. <laughs> but they, they were uh, not only polytheists, you know. They, they were even polygamists, you see. But that's their whole focus. That was their whole life and focus. And in the midst of all these innovations, you read in verse 26 of Genesis 4, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And I tell you, In the line of Seth, in the family of Seth, who is an ancestor of Abraham, that's the only family that was passing down the true knowledge of God. That's it. That's why God eventually said, I'm starting over. I'm wiping out. There's only Noah left. See, Noah descends from Seth. And there was only Noah left telling about the truth of God, telling about what really happened in the Garden of Eden and about the true God. The Lord said, I'm going to start over. Well, the Lord starts over. And guess what? Noah hasn't been off of the ark within a week or so, and he's already drunk. (laughs) And he's shaming the name of the Lord. He gets drunk and he shames the name of the Lord. And then the sons of Noah there was Ham, Shem, and Japheth. You've got Ham and Japheth, and they begin to go off into polytheism. They begin to worship multiple gods. You would think that after they had been through that flood and God had delivered them so amazingly that they would have been faithful. (laughs) But that's just not the way that human nature goes. We're not naturally faithful. And you can read in Genesis 10 and 11 how a man named Nimrod formed the first city. He became the first king. He was the first bully after the flood. There were several bullies before the flood. But he was the first bully. He was the first dictator after the flood. And everybody lived under this man's sway. As a matter of fact, that's why the Lord had to scatter the nations at the Tower of Babel. See, that was organized by Nimrod. That was the first one world government. (laughs) And the Lord scattered them. And so you come on down in the genealogy in Genesis 11 and you see where the descendants of Seth, the descendants of Shem, the son of Noah, they have a man named Terah as a a descendant. And Terah is important. All of this time you've got one family passing down the truth. All the way from Adam through Seth through the flood by Noah and unfortunately Ham and Japheth went off into idolatry. Nimrod comes from uh, Ham, by the way. They go off into idolatry. There's one family, and that's the descendants of Shem. And I want you to get the picture of what this means, okay? They didn't have TVs to watch and movies to go to and things like that. You know, they were a very sophisticated society. They were very complex and sophisticated and very smart. I would dare say they were smarter than we are because of the gene pool and all of the things that uh, have affected mankind because of the fall by Adam, you know, it hadn't, it hadn't done It hadn't spread out as as hard and as far and affected mankind like it had. You know, they were living for hundreds of years. See, I, I dare say that they were smarter than we are today. And so picture that sitting around the fire at night, sitting around the den, the living room at night. In the family of Seth, they're talking about the Almighty. They're talking about the things that had happened night after night after night, whether it's through family devotion or general conversation. They're passing down the truth of God by the oral tradition. They didn't have the writings and stuff. Not until the days of Moses was it written down. And so there's only one family left. (laughs) And then in Genesis 11 and 27, we read about disaster. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. You know what one of the meanings of the name Terah is? It means the moon. He said, what in the world does that have to do with anything? They were worshipping the moon. They were worshipping the moon god. That's not the true god, by the way. I'll go ahead and let you know. <laughs> the moon god is not the true god. As a matter of fact, if you read a little bit about the worship of the moon in those days, they believed that the moon had power because it lit up the night. Now, before telescopes and, and, and science had advanced, we know the truth of that, don't we? Is there any inherent light in the moon? Where does the light from the moon come from? It's reflected from what? The sun. (laughs) You see how that was a perversion of where the true source of power came from. But they looked up at night and they thought, this is what lights up the night. So we need to worship whatever this is, this orb, this globe hanging in the night. But the only way the moon had any light was the reflection from the sun. Y'all see how that connects to the son of God? The only true light is from the Son of God. The only truth comes from the Son, the Son of God. Amen. And so they they were perverting. They they named Terah after the worship of the moon. You know, it's even believed in secular histories, which are some of they're not really that accurate because they're not from the Bible. But there is some secular history that says and legend that says that Terah may have been a general in the army of Nimrod. You see, Nimrod had sway over all of this area that uh, they that they grew up in here that they were in. And he was a bully. He was a dictator. And if you didn't do it his way, then it was the highway or worse. See? So what you've got here is the last family. We're down to the last family that's carrying down the truth of God. And guess what? The last family that's carrying down the truth from Seth and all the way down uh, to um, Shem and on down nine generations from Shem, the last family is now slipping off into idolatry. They're going away. The last flame of truth is flickering out. That's why Joshua tells the people of Israel in Joshua 24, he says, remember that Terah on the other side of the flood, on the other side of the Red Sea, on the other side of Jordan, that he was worshiping gods. It's even believed that he may have been a maker of idols to sell to the moon god. And you notice it says that he was from Ur of the Chaldees. Ur was the epicenter of the worship of the moon. So you've got, you got a problem here. It's the last family that's carrying forth the flame of truth, of the truth of God. And this last family is named their son, Terah, who is, it, it literally could mean moon wanderer. That sounds like something from the 60s, doesn't it? It means moon wanderer. So that's bad. What, what's going to happen here? You know, that was the best family on earth, by the way. Shem's family, the descendants, and the descendants that come down to Terah was the best family on earth. They had the pedigree. They had the truth of God. They had all this going for them. And you say, well, that's bad. It gets worse. Because the last family that's carrying the truth of God who, that has named their son Terah after the moon, the worship of the moon, he has a son named Abram who maybe he was thinking, maybe Abram you know, will revive this and bring this on forward. And Abram marries the little lady. And you know what her name was? Sarah. You know, or Sarah before Sarah, what was her problem? <laughs> She's barren. You say it can't get any worse than that. You're right. The last family on the planet that's got the truth of God to pass on down for generations. This is the end. It's dead end. Dead end for, for Abraham. And then on top of that, even if Abraham just decided one day, well, I want to revive the truth of God. I want to go back to monotheism, studying the one true God. And we'll pass it on down to our kids. Don't have any kids. Can't have them. You know, Sarah's womb, her dead womb, is, I believe is a metaphor for the deadness of us and our sins. There was no possible natural way that an offspring was going to come from Sarah and Abraham unless something outside, something supernatural intervened and took over. <laughs> Sarah's womb is a metaphor to us being dead. It's as dim as it gets. You understand? I hope, I know I'm, I'm not uh, as effective as I would like to be. <laughs> But I want you to see that this is the dead end of the human race with Abram. It's ending with Abraham. His father is named Moon Wanderer, or the worshiper of the moon, and they're worshiping the moon. And it says that God did what? God called. You understand how important that is? It doesn't matter if you come from the best family on the planet, it doesn't matter if you're the most moral and you're the most um, law abiding citizen that's ever been. It's the call of God that makes the difference. Because we're not talking about morality. You see, morality is good and we should be moral. God commands us to be moral, but morality does not invoke the call of God. You hear me? Abraham was from the best family, but that's not good enough. Just being from the best family. God must speak. You say, what in the world does this have to do with the quest? We're getting there. Just be patient. (laughs) We're getting there. Here is the importance of God speaking. Mankind has come to a dead end. Even the line of Abraham is worshipping false gods, worshipping the moon god. So first of all, the call of God is necessary. It is absolutely necessary for the child of God to honor the Lord and to begin their journey in the quest. (laughs) Abraham was from the best family, but spiritual progress does not come from being in the best family. Up to now, all you've heard about is Cain. Cain this, Cain that. You've heard about uh, Japheth this, Ham that, Nimrod, the Tower of Babel. All these uh, amazing innovations and these influencers are getting all these hits all over the internet. I'm just kidding, they didn't have the internet back then. But it, you think about the thousands of hits and the thousands and tens of thousands of followers. They were these great influencers. That's all you heard about. There's one family. One family. Up to now, it's all been all about the descendants of Cain. And it's not about the family that you come from. It is about the call of God that comes to your life. And we're like it's like a spiritual death sleep. You understand? Abraham was in a spiritual death sleep. God's call is necessary for the child of God to become a servant of God. Not only is the call necessary, it is an absolutely gracious call. It's a call of grace. <laughs> you know, God doesn't call the qualified. Now, if you have an issue... And you want to take care of, somebody, say, some legal issue. <laughs> you know, if it's over in Pickens County, I hope you'll come and see me. If there's some kind of issue, I hope you don't have any issues. But if there's an issue, I hope that you'll come and see me. Because years ago, I went to school and I qualified myself. <laughs> Maybe I didn't make the best grades. But I qualified myself to some degree or another to, to be an attorney. If you've got an issue at home and you, you, your, your plumbing breaks down and all of your pipes burst or whatever, you're not going to call me to fix that. I'm not qualified. You gonna call a plumber? You gonna call somebody that works? We got an issue with a breaker at home right now on a new dryer, and you know I look at it and I feel of it and it's warm, and I think, hmm, boy, I wish I could fix it. <laughs> I'm not qualified to fix it. I'm gonna call somebody who's qualified to fix it. That's how we do calls, right? You know, you wouldn't want. Uh, I've heard people say when it comes to law, you want an old lawyer, <laughs> and when it comes to medicine, you want a young doctor. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I don't know if I qualify for an old lawyer yet or not. I still feel young, but anyway, I may be getting there. But we, we want to call those that are qualified to come and fix our issues. Are y'all with me? That's not how God works. God qualifies the called. Amen. Y'all hear me? Abraham was not qualified because he was in the army, uh, in the uh, family of of the descendants from Shem. He was not qualified just by the fact that he was in the family. And we have the proof of that because he was worshiping the moon god and following his father around, who was either a general in the army of the moon god king, or he was going along selling idols to those that were worshiping and living in the epicenter of where the moon god was worshiped. (laughs) You see, God doesn't call the qualified. He so, said, well, I'll get right, I'll get willing, I'll get up, I'll make, take care of myself, I'll pull myself up by the bootstraps. Well, the father of three great and incredibly known religious faiths of today, the Jewish religion, the Muslim religion, and the Christian religion, which is the true of all of those that descend down from Abraham, he did not call a qualified man. He called an idolater. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Now, the call is absolutely gracious. He calls the unqualified and he qualifies the ones that he calls. And also, this is beautiful. When he calls you, when he burdens your heart, he creates holiness in you. Somebody says, I'm just too dirty. I'm too filthy. I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. I've spent too much time doing things I shouldn't do. Well, I want you to know that whenever God calls you, He creates holiness inside of you. He puts a piece of Himself inside you. He puts the Spirit of Christ inside you. And He qualifies you because you've got the Spirit of Christ inside you. Not because you're so good or not because you're so bad, you see doesn't matter what the past has done. What about the thief on the cross? What did he do to qualify himself to be called of God? Absolutely nothing. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we like to talk about those on that low end, right? You know, the, the, the thieves and the robbers, you know, and, the, and those people that are bad. You see, but what about on the other end of the spectrum, on the morally good? You see, the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he was the most moral man on the face of the earth. You all hear me? He was following the law whenever he was going to put Christians in jail. He was following what he thought was God. And what in the world did the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul of Tarsus, what moral and good thing did he do to qualify himself to be called of God? Nothing. You see? It doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you're on. It's the call of God and it's gracious. It's a call of grace. No matter how corrupt, no matter how outward good, you go from a dead end... This family was at a dead end. There's nobody to carry the truth of God on. They're worshiping the moon. God says, I'm going to interrupt that. I'm going to intercede in that. And I'm burdening Abraham. I'm calling Abraham. You see, the call is absolutely gracious. Don't ever think it's something you generate within yourself. Don't ever think that it's something that you can just conjure up. Or you'll get willing. Or you'll get able. The call of God is the grace of God. That call is also radical. And that's how we get to the quest. The quest of the servant. The call is also radical. Not only is the call necessary for Abraham to serve God as a servant, it is also gracious because Abraham was doing nothing to follow the Lord. It's radical. Genesis 12 and 1 through 3, you read that the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, into the land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. The Lord says, Get out. Get out of that moon God-worshipping country. (laughs) Leave from there. Go somewhere, I'll tell you where to go. And Abraham says, Where do you want me to go, Lord? He says, I'll tell you later. Just go. (laughs) That takes a lot of guts, doesn't it? Just to get out and go. And the Lord says, don't worry about where you're going. I'll tell you later where you're going. That takes some trust, doesn't it? Did Abraham generate that trust within himself? Did he generate that call within himself? Absolutely not. He was worshiping the moon. God, can y'all picture that now? I like to be real graphic with my images. <laughs> but can y'all picture Abraham maybe standing behind his father, Terra, and they're up there in the moon God temple looking up at the crescent moon. By the way, you should be very familiar with the crescent moon because that's something among the Islamics. They still have the crescent moon on all their flags. That comes from the worship of the moon God. <laughs> All the way back to Abraham. See, I'm not as crazy as I sound, am I? So anyway, so can you picture Abraham up there in the temple of the moon God with the crescent moon up there? And they're going there up there at night so they can see the moon shining down in the temple. And he's standing there with his father whose name Moon Wanderer. <laughs> and the Lord says, Abraham, get out of there. <laughs> Abraham, what? <laughs> get out of there. You're not supposed to be in there worshiping the moon, God. Get out of there. And he says, what do I do, Lord? He says, get out and go. I want you to go somewhere. Where, Lord? I'll tell you as you go. Just get on going. God's so gracious too, isn't He? Because it says in Genesis, the previous chapter 11, it says that Terah, the moon... The, the father who was named after the moon. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his son's son and Sarai, his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees. They left the epicenter of the worship of the moon god and they went into the land of the of, uh, toward to go into the land of Canaan and they came into Haran and dwelt there. <laughs> you said, well, that was good. Well, it's sort of like going halfway. Haran was a competing place where they competed for attention for the worship of the moon god it was known as another center for worshiping the moon god so tara you know tara thinks he's doing good but you understand tara is not called to do what abraham was called to do so tara says okay okay son i hear you you're tired of this moon god worship you're tired of the way things have been going we'll go we'll go i don't want to lose my son i don't i want to be around you i want to see what goes on in your life you know you've told me that god said he's going to bless you with a nation i'd like to see that so they go, but they only get to Haran, which is another place. It was called, it was called the city of the moon god. <laughs> and it's on the northern edge of what becomes known as the promised land, Canaan land. You see, not only is the call of God necessary and gracious, it's radical and it's personal. What did Abraham need to do? He comes to Haran. His, his father has brought him there. What does Abraham need to do? He needs to leave. He needs to do what God has called him to do. See, this is where it gets personal and it gets radical. God says, Abram, I want you to go and I'm going to take you to a country. Where is it, Lord, and how are you going to bring me there? The Lord says, I'll show you later. Just go. Just go. Sometime later in Abram's life, the Lord says, Abram, Sarah is barren and she doesn't have a son. I'm going to give you a son. And Abram says, how, Lord? How's that going to happen? The Lord says, I'll explain it to you later. Just trust me. Sometime later in Abram's life, the servant of God God comes to him and he says, Abraham, I want you to take this boy that I've given you up on the mountain. Sacrifice him. Don't you know Abraham thought, how am I going to come back down with him? How? How's it going to happen? And the Lord said, just climb. Just climb. Did he come back down with him? Of course he did. You see, that's faith. That's trust. When our children were very small, I was probably... Like all of you parents, you know, you kind of get over the top worried and you can you can picture in your mind all these, you know. I, I saw my children die in my mind so many different ways. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You know, they walk out in front of a truck. They fall into a pond. They, you know, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can see your children getting harmed. And I remember there was a few times, it, it being one of the worst would be kidnapped. I couldn't imagine a child being kidnapped and never knowing what happened to them. That's just a horror, you know. And so I scared the children to death about certain things. One was about strangers and taking candy from strangers. Uh, no offense to our candy givers here. That, <laughs> you're not a stranger. But you know, don't take candy from strangers. And, I, and one of the things I told the children, I said, listen to me. If I tell you something, if I say stop or I say jump, you don't stop and go, oh, Daddy, what do you mean? Well, why, Daddy? What's, what's the deal? Because there comes that transfer truck, and that's the example I use. And bam, it's going to kill you. <laughs> Whereas if you just listened and you just jumped or you just stopped, <laughs> everything would have been okay. There wasn't time to explain it. You understand? I just wanted my children to trust me in that way. Guys, I got your best interest in mind and I'm never going to, and to the best of my ability, I'm never going to tell you to do anything that's contrary to the glory of God. Amen. <laughs> me as a parent, I'm, I'm fallen and I'm weak and I'm sinful. Think about God. God says to Abraham, get out. Abraham, I wonder how this is going to work. Where am I going? He says, just go. God says, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham's like, I'm I'm 89 years old. I can't bear children anymore. And by the way, my wife is barren. She's never been able to bear children. God says, just trust me. It's going to work out. And then he gets that child. And he says, go up and sacrifice him. Abraham's thinking, how am I going to... The Lord said a nation is going to come from this child. How's this going to happen? (laughs) By the way, Abraham believed in the resurrection. And God says, just climb. Just climb. So here is the quest. You see, God, the calling of God imposes upon you the quest. You see, well, I thought life was an adventure. There's a big difference between an adventure and a quest. You can ask my mom, thank God she's not here today because she'd be sitting there nodding. Oh, she is there. My goodness, I overlooked her. Well, never mind. Let's skip over that part. So mom's fixing to nod. Sorry, mom. Didn't see you come in. <laughs> so... Mom sticks in a nod and probably shout, Amen. I went on a lot of adventures in my life. <laughs> that was a purposeful pause. <laughs> I would devise these plans and I would go out and I would do this. I said, This looks like fun. You know, this is for the glory of Tim. You know, whether it was football, whether it was college football, whether it was music, whether it was going rock climbing, whether it was going kayaking. I had all these adventures. Some of them I don't recommend. <laughs> but I would come back from those adventures and I'd have a good story to tell. That's an adventure. A story from the book of Tim. The quest is not the same. I chose those adventures to go on them. The quest chooses you. Are you hearing me? The quest to follow the Lord as Abraham followed the Lord. It chooses you and you're never the same. You want to know what that maybe that gap and that feeling within is. Oh, things just are, I just don't quite feel right. There's just a gap here. I'm telling you, if the Lord of God of heaven has touched your heart, it's because the quest of God has been thrust upon you. You see, I believe that's what's missing today in many of God's children's lives. Listen to me carefully. We draw so much energy and so much strength from the secular things. I get a raise at work. I'm happy as I can be. I get a, Sister Tracy a new vehicle. I'm as happy as I can be you find the right spouse, you find the right boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, you're just as happy as you can be. And I believe God's children have lost sight of where the quest comes from, of where true joy comes from. Those things are fine. And they may be a benefit to our lives. But that's not what the Lord has called us to take our strength from. You see, think about it. Abraham, he's got the city, he's got the luxury, he's got the lifestyle, he's got everything he could possibly want, and the quest of God is thrust upon him, and he's going out looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, you see. He's going out in the wilderness and he's wandering and he's looking and he's seeing these things, these glorious things. And he's not taking his strength from the rays at work. He's not taking his strength from how the economy is doing. He's not taking his strength from how politics is going. He's not taking his strength from whether he's got the right girl in his life. He's taking his strength from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's looking for that city, you see. That's a quest right there, brothers and sisters. We've lost sight of the quest. Maybe we're just going on little adventures for ourselves. I've been there. (laughs) Sometimes you come back with scars from those adventures. I tell you, never the same when you go on the quest. And life is a quest. You see, to think that little old me is woven into the fabric of God's plan of redemption. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Somebody says, congratulations, you got that raise at work. Praise God, I'm, I'm glad you got the raise. That's wonderful. What about congratulations? The call of God is upon your life and now you're a part of the quest that will take you through your life and into the grave and on into glory. (laughs) You see, Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He wasn't tied to the secular anymore. He wasn't taking his strength from the degrees and from the education and from the, the particular job that you have. Those things are good and we should be striving to be the best that we can be. But those are not our strength. That's not part of the quest, you see. The quest chooses you. Are you capable of modeling the servant Abraham? Are you called? Yes, you are. You've got the burden of God in your heart and in your life. You are capable of modeling the servant Abraham. You are capable. But are you like me? Sometimes you feel that flame uh, flickering away. It seems to be getting smaller and smaller. How in the world can a bunch of little truth believers over in West Alabama have any impact on the culture today? How in the world could a little fellow who was a moon worshiper be the father of, of three worldwide known religions that are out there today. I tell you, it's the call of God. (laughs) You see? To quote a preacher friend of mine, when we see that our life is truly woven into the great events of this universe, the drama of redemption, you begin to see our true sense of worth. And you are a part of that plan and I am a part of that plan. You say, well, what's the ultimate proof of that? Child of God, look to the cross. Look at, the cro- look at the cross. Look at the Son of God in your mind's eye of faith, hanging there, paying for your sins, weaving you, little old you, little old me, into the drama of redemption. You see, the, sta- the world is nothing more than a stage for the drama of redemption to play out before us. And you are a part of that. And yet, we get so caught up in the mundane, and we get so caught up with the ups and downs of this world, and there are many ups and downs. I do not deny that. But understand that the city that God has made, it is not here. It is not in Washington, D.C. It is not in Montgomery, Alabama. It is not in the influencers of the world. I tell you, it's in heaven. It's in heaven itself where the king sits on the right hand of God. That's the builder and maker that we're looking for. That's what the call of God will do to your life. That's what the quest will do. The untamed center of the universe moves. You see, it's all about understanding that we're a part of that incredibly vital plan of God. I think I quoted from the Lord of the Rings last week. And some of you may not be readers or whatever. You don't have that excuse anymore. You could just go watch the movie. I'm going to quote from The Hobbit today. Because Bilbo Baggins, the little little hobbit, the little furry-footed hobbit, is the one that was called into service to go forward and do great things. He was just a little nobody. And by the way, Tolkien understood the drama of redemption, as did his contemporary C.S. Lewis. They understood the drama of redemption. And after little old Bilbo Baggins went through all the things that he went through, and Smog, the great dragon, was slain, and Bilbo became a rich man, and he went back to to the Shire, and he began to live out the rest of his life. Uh, By the way, precursor leading up to the next one, the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Gandalf, the great wizard, was talking with Bilbo, and this is a quote. He said this to Bilbo, who was doubting. You know, how could I be involved in something so great? A little bitty nothing, a little bitty hobbit, (laughs) And Gandalf said to Bilbo, Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit? You are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fella in a wide world after all. And I say to you, Abraham was quite a little fella in a wide world. A nobody, not an influencer, had no standing. Worshipping the moon, God. See, God wants us to understand that we are called, we are impressed into the drama of the ages. Your life is part of that stage that is playing out throughout the world. You say, but there's all these influencers and there's all these things like Cain going on out there that you see the influencers of Cain out in the world. Don't get lost in that child of God. <laughs> That's no different than Abraham. <laughs> it's the call of God. It's necessary. It's gracious, and it changes you. It's radical. It's radical. I look back on all of my adventures that I chose, and I think, "Ooh, man, I'm glad I escaped out of a few of those. Some of those were really dumb, <laughs> really dumb." I can tell you one: I'm hanging upside down for about 45 minutes by my bootstraps, wondering if I was ever going to get out, and blood rushing to my head. That's another story for another time. Very dumb, but I survived. It was quite an adventure. Everybody smiles and goes, "Wow." But until the Lord impressed me into the quest, my life had no meaning. You hear me? My life had no meaning. They were all just the adventures in the book of Tim. But when the Lord impress, impresses you into the quest, well, your life has greater meaning than a new car or a raise or a particular job or a particular type of person for a spouse all those things may be noble and good things but understand that your life is more than those things you're in the drama of the ages god has impressed you into his service god has conscripted you by his call and if you sit back and you look and you go why would he choose me to be in his drama that's the question to ask that's grace right there that's amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a pretty good person like me a wretch like me (laughs) how about that Part of, that quest, part of that quest is to walk down the aisle, be baptized, become a part of the Lord's church. Take your place in the drama of the ages, the story of redemption. That's what you mean to God, you see. And it's just a way of showing what He means to you. If there's one or more here that feels the burden to become a part, follow along in that quest, that journey. You have that opportunity as we stand and sing.